Warning, this episode contains graphic material that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, welcome back to Morbid Mondays. This is Jay from The Cave, and I'm with my co-host, Millie. Today we're going to be discussing the case of D.B. Cooper. Known as one of the most unsolved cases in FBI history and in U.S. history. On Wednesday, November 24th, 1971, just one day before Thanksgiving, a man going by the name Dan Cooper bought a $20 one-way ticket with Northwest Airlines with cash on Flight 305 from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. D.B. was described as a man in his mid-40s wearing a dashing business suit a black raincoat over, brown shoes, a white shirt with a black tie. He brought a dark briefcase and a 4-inch by 12-inch by 14-inch paper bag. Before the plane took off, he sat at C-18C and ordered a bourbon and soda. After the plane had taken off, around 3 p.m., Cooper handed the stewardess a note. She first paid it no mind, just putting the note in her back pocket, which Cooper followed up with, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. Cooper told her the bomb was in his briefcase and told her to sit next to him. He would then open up the briefcase show her red-colored sticks surrounded by an array of wires. After showing her this, he asked for her to write down everything he was saying and to give it to the captain. The note wrote, I want $200,000 by 5 p.m. in cash, put in a knapsack. I also want two back and two front parachutes, and when we land, I want a fuel truck to refuel. No funny stuff, or I'll do the job. End quote. An interesting tidbit is Cooper asked for exclusively all the money to be in $20 bills. When he landed, Cooper was given the money and parachutes in exchange for the passengers, yet he still kept some of the staff on board and requested to be flown to New Mexico City and that the plane stay below 10,000 feet. During the second half of the flight, Cooper would then put on a dark pair of sunglasses with dark rims, which would now be very iconic and recognizable to anyone who knows this case. Around 8 p.m., when the plane was somewhere between Seattle and Reno, Nevada, Cooper jumped from the rear doors with two parachutes and the money, to never be seen again. A thing to add before I continue is Cooper took off the black tie he was wearing before he jumped, which the FBI was able to retrieve a piece of DNA from. But now onto the case of a man we now know as T.B. Cooper. The case was ultimately named Norjack. It stood for Northwest Hijacking, and it would last for decades. The plane was intensely searched for evidence. It was such a mission to solve this case There was a heavy search for the $20 bills because the FBI had recently released the serial numbers of the bills given to Cooper. In 1980, nine years after the hijacking, a young boy found a rotting package filled with $20 bills with matching serial numbers. There was exactly $5,800 in the bag. The boy found the bag at a beach line in Tinabar while making a campfire with his father. People theorized that when Cooper jumped, the money possibly fell in the Wushigal River and drifted all the way to Tinabar. 
Though, this discovery would ultimately lead to nothing, as the FBI scoured this area finding nothing. One year after the hijacking in 1972, multiple letters were sent to the FBI, New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, and Seattle Times, either confessing to the crime, eulogizing a recently deceased D.B. Cooper, or just claiming to be his brother. But in November 1972, two men were taken into federal custody for extortion named Donald Sylvester Murphy and William John Lewis for impersonating Cooper and selling his story. Leads were tracked all over the country and more than 800 suspects were considered in the first five years alone. All but 24 were eliminated. An interesting fact about D.B. Cooper, the name D.B. has no meaning to the point even the FBI has no idea where this came from. It is reportedly a mistake by a wiretap that called him D.B. Cooper instead of Dan Cooper, which is how it was presented initially on the play ticket. The physical description of Cooper is said to be pretty accurate. Two stewardess who spent hours with him on the plane and were interviewed separately after the hijacking had given similar descriptions. They both stated he was about 5'10 to 6 foot tall anywhere between 170 through 180 pounds. It is mid-40s and it had brown eyes. People who interacted with DB on the ground also gave similar descriptions and have also stated his voice was very low, had no particular accent, and had a very intelligent set of vocabulary. The original charge for Cooper was air privacy, but that had only had a five-year statute of limitations. As time went on and suspects being found not guilty, the grand jury ended up changing the charge to violating the Hobbs Act. The Hobbs Act is a federal statute designed to prevent extortion and it has no statute of limitations, meaning if Cooper was found tomorrow, he still could be charged. The pilot at the time had told officials he had chose the route they took, not Cooper, Cooper had only requested his end destination of Mexico City. To me, this just sounds a bit puzzling, since he planned to jump out of a plane after all. Almost just eliminating the idea of having an accomplice, since there was no coordination of where they would meet. Just jumping blindly into that. Suspect number one, Richard Floyd McCoy. A favorite suspect of former FBI agent Russell Calm and former probation officer Bernie Rhodes. The two men even wrote a book about the case. In April 1972, just five months after the hijacking, they arrested a man going as Richard Floyd McCoy for hijacking an airplane. When compared, the McCoy's hijacking is very similar to Cooper's. Both parachuted off, jumped from the rear of a Boeing 727. Both had requested four parachutes both during their hijackings were very calm and both even passing notes saying they had a bomb and both contained a line in their notes saying no funny stuff. Also, just maybe a coincidence, both crimes happened when McCoy was on break from university. Also interesting, Russell and Bernie said McCoy's family had identified an object left on a plane by Cooper, which was never publicly identified some people 
say it was a medallion from the school McCoy went to with his initials on it, which just stems from a wiki page. So take it with a grain of salt, it may just be shit. The FBI later wrote out McCoy as a suspect because he didn't match any descriptions of Cooper. Bernie stated the men looked familiar, but according to the FBI, McCoy was home with the family for Thanksgiving in Utah the day after the hijacking. McCoy was caught after his hijacking and sentenced to 45 years in prison. He would later escape in Lewisburg, PA, and later die in a gunfight with the FBI agents in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Suspect number two, Dwayne Weber. On his deathbed, he claimed to be D.B. Cooper. His wife, Joe, said an hour before his death, Dwayne pulled her very close and said, I have a secret to tell you. I'm Dan Cooper. This led to Joe, what should have been very clear clues. She stated he would have nightmares and talk in his sleep about leaving fingerprints on a plane. Talked about having a knee ailment from jumping out of a plane years ago. Dwayne's handwriting was reportedly found in the margins of a library book about D.B. Cooper. And Joe also claims Dwayne took her to the place where the money was eventually found at Tina Bar Beach. She also claims Dwayne had an old Northwest Airline ticket for just apparently no reason. The former lead FBI agent Ralph Himselbeck stated he does fit the physical description and criminal background that I always felt was associated with the case. End quote. But he ultimately believed it wasn't him though, but did feel he did match. Suspect number three, Kenneth Christensen. The favorite suspect of an author, Jeffrey Gray. The theory came up from Kenneth's brother Lyle after he saw an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and believed his brother was in fact D.B. Cooper. Lyle also cites a deathbed confession from his brother. He apparently said, there is something you should know, but I cannot tell you. Kenneth was a flight purser, the head flight attendant for Northwest, the same one Cooper hijacked, which supports the theory that people have that it was an inside job. He also loved bourbon. He even bought a house shortly after the crime, though it was purportedly unassuming. When Jeffrey showed a stewardess who interacted with Cooper a picture of Kenneth, she agreed he was the closest resemblance of all the other suspects she had seen. But she ended up stating, I cannot say yay. The FBI would later debunk Kenneth as a suspect because he didn't match the description and because he was a paratrooper during World War II, which goes against the FBI's belief Cooper was not a trained jumper. Now, going on to a... Uh, very common theory is he just didn't make it. Um, the theory is he didn't make the jump. To put it bluntly, it is believed Cooper didn't survive the jump. Because of all the info to point this way, of the two shoots he took, only one of them worked. It was a military shoot. It had no steering ability. And the other shoot that Cooper had during the day that he took with him, it was just a training shoot and it was sewed shut. Cooper was also an untrained jumper accordingly to the FBI. It was also dark and raining that night, very foggy and almost impossible to see the ground. And accordingly, on the line that they took to Mexico City, it was very filled with trees. So if he jumped out at any point, 
like they said, near Nevada, he would ultimately get tangled up in a tree and possibly have died. Um, only problem is with this theory is they never once found a body, a landing site, or a parachute. Theory number two is one that I personally have heard. Um, I I don't have the details all in front of me, uh, just because it's hard for me to find at the current moment. But the theory goes, there was an accomplice. Uh, it is assumed around Tinabar Bay and uh, Washgomery uh, River. There was, uh, according to suspects, there was uh, a red truck seen parked around the line where the flight was taken. Um, D.B. Cooper did end up actually having some form of knowledge about the scenery around uh, the area he jumped, and he actually did have, you know, training with jumping with a parachute. Um, meaning he got away free. Where they went, it is unsure. Um, according to people, it was a red pickup truck, and it was parked alongside of an empty road about an hour before he accordingly jumped around 8 p.m., and then they see it fled off. Um, there was never anyone seen coming from the sky just because it was dark, cloudy, and raining. Um, but like I said, take with a grain of salt. Uh, if I ever find this information, I will give a more descriptive detail down the road. Um, so yeah, that's a theory I have heard. Obviously, I don't have it all in front of me. I've looked for hours and hours and hours to find this. When I do end up finding it, I will make sure to, you know, bring it up. The FBI stated they had a paperwork, if stacked, would be about 40 feet tall and had a, over a thousand plus suspects, making just this, you know, conversation just the tip of the iceberg. And when it comes to the DNA of the tie that was found earlier, it came back to a form of like metal-like material that would stem from a plant. Because it was such little debris, they figured it was either a manager or an engineer who would have worn that tie. But with this case being over 40 plus years old, people are still very fascinated about this case. Even multiple movies coming from it, and a movie that I personally remember watching up as a kid, going about finding D.B. Cooper, and the movie was titled Without a Paddle. And for me, that's where this lies. Uh, these suspects were the biggest ones that I felt had the most, you know, reasoning for it, most information. It's very supported by other FBI agents and multiple people who are part of the case back in the day who were either a stewardess or, you know, uh, people are asked questions about it, have came and even agreed upon. But because of the FBI basically saying, nope, doesn't fit our description, so not it, they got pushed under the rug. Um, now, on to Millie, uh, let's just discuss how you feel about it. You know, he's getting on the plane. Does he not have, like, a passport of some sort? Like, yeah. Okay, so I am going to quickly look into this because I thought the same thing. 
uh, uh, Han. Um, because they're like, oh, like, because you said that, like, they didn't know, like, they were, like, trying to go, basically go off the, the girl, the, what are they, stewardess? Is that what they're called? The flight attendants? They're trying to go off of their, uh, descriptions, because they were on the plane with them for so long. Why, why there's no cameras? Like, he got on the plane, so he's got to go through the airport, right? Well, this isn't so, recent. You know that, right? It's not recent. It wasn't, like, 2010. I know. I know, but but they 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 didn't have cameras. What uh, is this? Okay, so prior to 1996, there was no requirement to present any ID to board a plane. The policy was put into place to show government was doing something about the crash of TWA Flight 800. So no, before um, 1996, they did not need any passports or ID in order to do travel. Nice, of course. So no, and. So he saw his opportunity, basically. Uh, well, like, no. Well, obviously, it wasn't an opportunity. They never knew, you know, from that point, if they were ever need ID to, you know, fly. They always just took it as, yeah. okay, we can just buy a plane ticket and fly wherever we want because we don't need it. And to bring up the surveillance in... Uh, on. What's it called? Do you have any other questions while I'm looking this up? Um... Uh... I mean, not really questions. It's just I mean, I think that was my only question, really. Um I do agree that I don't remember which theory it was. Um about I think it was your second about him having like an accomplice with the the truck and stuff. I think that there definitely was somebody on the ground for him. I think that he probably jumped out, lost the money, and then they eventually got him, picked him up somewhere, and then that was it. Yeah, so with the second theory, and I read, I found something, but it didn't give me the full detail like I remember. Because I did a, um, a project on this when I was in high school. We did a thing in psychology about like unsolved cases and what would make people want to do this. The thing for the D.B. Cooper case was there is no way of being able to figure out why they want to do something like this unless it was just for the thrill of it. Yeah. Um, but with the second theory, it kind of gets debunked. When you look at it from behind the scenes, when a pilot said he chose the route, not Cooper. So in order for, you know, D.B. Cooper's, you know, uh, accomplice, they, they would need to know they would have a spot they would have to meet. Oh, yeah. Well, with them not yeah. having a, a, you know, a singular spot to meet up at, Cooper's just jumping out of a plane randomly and just hoping that they meet. But as on the first theory... Uh, it's basically saying like he just died. Uh, it leaves the fact of where's the rest of the money, and it leaves well, that could just mean that someone found the money and took it, because it would mm -hmm. make sense. Uh, when it comes to when the where the money was found, the plane did fly over the Wushigol River, so it would make sense for the money to be in that area, and where that area is, it is actually covered by uh homes. So someone could have luckily had, you know, money come in their backyard. The only problem is, if he did die, one, where's the body and where's the chute? If the chute opened. Because that's another thing in that theory was, two chutes uh, Cooper took when he jumped out of plane. One of them was a military chute that couldn't steer. Because at the time, they were like one of the vintage like World War II chutes that, like, you know, they weren't able to steer yet. They kind of, you pulled it, you pray that you don't get stuck anywhere. Two, yeah. 
the other shoot that he had was a training kit and it was sewed shut. So it also implies that he didn't know how to jump. So everything up to this point was planned until he had to jump. It seemed like. Yeah, he was just kind of like hoping that it yeah. would go well. And that's where kind of people feel like it was an inside job. Was it someone who had experience? Was it someone just playing dumb or etc.? Nonetheless, the case I thought was very interesting just because to this day, they don't know, have any idea who it is. There's people. And then another thing I want to point out too is how the FBI kind of takes a lot of the suspects. And just because they don't fit the criteria that the FBI sees, uh, they just they overlook it. They're like, yeah, no, not it. Did you ever watch a show, um, Prison Break? Yes. Yeah, yeah. In, in that in that show, how they like portray the one guy as like D.B. Cooper and they got to go and like find his money in the in the house. They got to go dig up the garage and shit. I was thinking about that, like because they said that like he did it for his daughter or something like that, that, that was like sick and needed the money. So, I mean, maybe it was just a guy that needed money and just was kind of hoping that it would go well. And go in his favor and i mean i guess it kind of did up until he had the jump it's just funny that it's titled db cooper only because it was a mishap well it's assumed that it was a mishap from a wiretap of a, just a misspelling of dan yeah i think it's funny because a lot of people know this case is known as db cooper and whatever blah blah blah, blah where instead it's just actually the dan cooper case which, you know, I thought it was funny to imply. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. But yeah, the movie Without a Paddle, I mentioned that uh, before we started discussing. Uh, it literally has Seth Green. It has the dude that plays uh, Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo movies. And um, he plays one of the one of the main villains in Scream, the first one. He's actually one of the dudes that's yeah. becoming Scream. Uh, Matthew, Matthew Lillard. Yes, yes, right. Matthew Lillard, yeah. and I forget the other guy. He's married to uh, I forget the actress's name, but he's doing his own thing now too. Um, all three of them are in the movie, and the whole like concept of the movie is they're going into the woods to find DB Cooper's lost stash. And in the process, they actually find DB Cooper's body. Huh? Yeah, and it kind of portrays in the concept of the the theory of him dying, and it shows the portrayal of you know he fell. Uh, the day because the day he fell it was raining it was 8 p around like 8 9 p.m when he jumped and it was super foggy and the area where they assumed he jumped would have been completely covered in trees so you would have no idea where to land when to pull the chute how to control with 200 mile per hour wind smacking him in the face if he had zero trip practice or training in this you know yeah. jumping field and it kind of defeated the one per that's why the fbi looked away against the one person because he was a uh, world war ii paratrooper Hence why they're like, yeah, it couldn't be him. Even though he fits the physical appearance, he doesn't fit the background agenda that we have put for Dan Cooper. Yeah, like he would have known better yeah. when jumping. Yep. But I thought it was crazy about the uh, one uh, where the woman was basically being like, he has a he has a plane ticket for no reason. He keeps talking about how he has knee pains. And he used yes. to scream all the time in his nightmares about how he left fingerprints behind on the plane. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did like that that suspect. Yeah, that was his name? Dwayne. Or something? Yeah, yeah, right. Dwayne Weber. Yep, and then yeah. his wife Joe was the one who brought it up because he announced it on his deathbed. And what was funny is one of the FBI agents actually said, "Yeah, like he actually has the criminal background that I have always assumed would fit perfectly for this case, but 
I ultimately have to say it's not him just because, you know, it doesn't fit, like, some type of criteria that they had put down. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? What? And the McCoy one. Yeah, I love how people instantly go, oh, yeah, the thing that the family pointed out had to be the medallion. And it's like a lot of people just say this because they read it on the wiki. So to me, it just sounds like it's bullshit. But, I mean, if the family ever wanted to stay, like, oh, yeah, it was this object that we pointed out that was on, you know, Cooper's flight, not our son's flight. But that was years ago. And I doubt, you know, we're ever going to get an answer for that. But the case is still open. They're just not investigating anymore. So if he yeah. were to be found tomorrow, man could be... I mean, be... it just seems like a, like a dead end. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. Man got two hundred thousand dollars cash, put in a knapsack full of twenties. He lost five thousand eight hundred dollars of it and got scot free. If he's still alive, if not, man kicked the bucket when he jumped out of that plane. Hey, you made it pretty far. You made it a pretty iconic case. Yeah, a pretty I iconic mean, picture. Whatever his plan was, pretty much worked up until the jumping aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, if he had planned beforehand of, you know, what shoots look like what and what they did, maybe he could have actually, you know, had a better chance. Like, yeah. yeah, had it more planned out methodically. Yeah. yeah, or him being like, hey, let's just not, let's not let the pilot choose where we go. Let me choose where we go because <laughs> bad. I mean, maybe, is there a possibility that he could have, like, jumped, lost some of the money, and then got somewhere safe and then called somebody well that was, and well, was like all right pick me up here like well that's a part of the second theory that's the theory is a man landed and apparently the red pickup truck was seen pulling up into a back road staying there for a couple minutes and then mysteriously coming back and there was another person is inside that car but where they went to there was no homes in that area so it makes no sense why a man would have mysteriously popped up in a man's car unless he was picking up someone but the yeah. only problem they have found with this is they never found a shoot. Um, but again, oh, he they could. Well, exactly. That's the that's where it goes to is what if he just took it with him? There's a whole thing. There's a whole uh thing on Reddit you can look up. There's a whole like a form about it. They line it up. They show mappings. They show the uh, according to the pilot where they flew. They draw a mapping of where the money could have fell out, why it landed in Wushigal, how they found a Tina bar, and where the truck was a reportedly found and it was pretty close to Wushigal River funny enough and they feel like the money some of the money did fly out of the bag that's where the $5,800 was it was actually a, an extra stash for them to find later down the road to hide from the accomplice and when he put it at the Wushigal River it actually ended up floating down to Tinabar hence why he brought the paper bag Yeah, he wanted to get an extra cut and just stash it somewhere so they could be found later down the road but there's so much more to that theory that, you know, it could literally do a whole 15-minute segment about it because there's just so much information, and it's a pretty damn well good theory, to be fairly honest. Um, definitely looking looking into. Because when I saw that in high school, I was like, damn, this is actually pretty well fucking done. Hmm. Yeah. It explains who the accomplice was, why they would do it, you know. It literally shows, like, estimated landings that could have been the reason why he landed in this area, why the truck was there for the period it was, and the way it drove out, and everything else. It was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan. Yeah. Dan Cooper, also known as D.B. Cooper. Crazy fucking case, I'd say. Literally. I don't know. I mean, I think it's pretty cool. 
and I, I kind of just feel like I'm hurt that maybe he did make it. I mean, yeah. Just because obviously if he didn't really, it, it didn't really seem too planned out. Yeah, but at the end of the day, man, he did, made it work. He didn't take no one's life. Yeah, he caused some chaos. Don't be wrong. He, you know, he had a quote unquote a bomb. They say quote unquote because at the end of the day, it was just red sticks and wire. It could just be anything at that point. Um, but no. I mean, I get that. It, also, I, I get that it was long, long time ago. But like, how did he get? How was he able to get on the plane with something like that? Like I said, it was just a briefcase. It was, you know, less security, I guess you could say, after, yeah. you know, the last couple of years of everything happening in the world. And, you know, after, you know, 9-11 and stuff like that, there's obviously been more security put down. And before 1996, when, you know, the plane just disappeared type shit and, you know, whatever. And so many other, like, attacks and disappearances and shit like that. They obviously had to put more security, more stuff involved, to, you know, make sure things don't go crazy like this again. We're talking about a period of time where... We're talking about how this uh, a plane got hijacked, to, like a, not the same plane, but a plane got hijacked two times in a five-month span. McCoy's case and Cooper's case. There was a period of time where they didn't need an ID, passports, nothing. They literally, here's money. I'm paying you $20 to fly from here to here. Cool. Have a good flight. That was it. They didn't really need to be checked because, you know, what are they going to do? We're also talking about a time where people were allowed to smoke on planes. I mean, yeah, like we're talking about a like, we're talking about a period of time where I will look at his man and be like, you know what? I'll give him his flowers. He did something bold. He did something to probably get an adrenaline rush. Good for you. You got something out of it. If you survived, this is the reason why we have stuff in place now. I wouldn't say the right place in the right time, but the time period does play a part in this case because I don't think there is a chance of a, someone doing like this again. I mean, obviously not today's day because. There's Secure, so much more yeah, like security, security and shit like ID that. checks, but... surveillance. It's easier for you to be get I caught. I mean, shit, if somebody can pull it off again, then. Damn, I'll give you a pat on the back for you. What the fuck? Yeah, right. But no, I, I think it's interesting, an interesting, interesting case. Stutters. Of course it is, yeah. But, nah. I, I, I mean, I I feel like the, the very first time that I heard about it was, like, I think it was in, like, seventh, eighth grade. Mm. But, like, I never really heard anything much after yep. didn't really like interest me like that mm. yep, and then i heard about it again when i watched prison break i'm like oh that's cool like they're kind of inserting like a real life event that happened into a fictional show yeah for me it was hearing it when i was a super young kid watching without a paddle with like my family and then watching again down the road and being like why does the name dan cooper sound familiar and then my dad is being like hey like no like Dan Cooper or D.B. Cooper is like an actual case. Like a man did hijack a plane and it's shocked me that knowing this shit actually happened. And then obviously when I was in high school, we were chose to pick someone to, you know, do a case about those unsolved. I chose D.B. Cooper just because it was something I always found fascinating and it was so quote unquote easy to pull off. Um, and then, like I said, and, and then I just like, fuck it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it myself. Let's just do a whole thing about it. I thought, you know, it's interesting. Some people don't. They know about it because it's one of the most unsolved cases in U.S. and FBI history. But at the same time, there's still, you know, people who, like you said, like yourself, you didn't really look into it because you didn't feel like there was a need to. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, it's it's super interesting that somebody was able to hijack a plane, mm -hmm. get all this money, yep. jump out of the plane, and then there's literally no trace of them. 
it, it's super interesting, but. I just like this man is also a badass. Man ordered a bourbon and Coke casually before hijacking a plane, put on shades right before he jumped, and he spoke in a low tone and literally had, the t and had it in his note. Do it and no one gets hurt. Bro, I don't care. That's badass. That's some like secret agent shit. Like, what if he was like, like, I don't know. I don't know how to tell it. Like, what if there was just something wrong with him, like in the head? And he was like trying to act like he was like in a movie. Because I feel like that that's something like, yeah. like the shades and shit. And, like, I just, like I said, I, I feel like that's something you would see in like in a movie. I don't know. Nonetheless, I think it's just badass. Like I said, dude had a tie on. He ripped that shit off before he jumped out. Like, Man had a whole like yeah. secret agent persona he was trying to pull off. I I think it that's sounds so fake. It like, sounds yeah. It sounds, it sounds so fucking fake. But when you look at it from like an actual like case standpoint, it sounds fucking crazy but cool at the same time. You're like, damn, this dude really pulled some fucking 007 money jacking shit. Yeah, literally. But no, yeah, I thought it was cool to bring up. That's why I wanted to do this episode as yeah Dan Cooper. All that bring to light. All right. Well, that was the Dan Cooper case. Um, you guys let us know if you feel, you know, any of these theories or suspects hold any uh, value or if they, you know, have any, you know, percentage of actually being the person going as Dan Cooper. Let us know. Uh, this was Jay. Billy. And this was the cave. Another Mormon Monday episode. And. Thank you, as always, for listening. Bye.